Welcome to Love This Food Thing podcast. I'm Gemma. This is the place where we explore our relationship with food, be it friend or foe, and how this affects our behavior. Here's today's episode. Welcome back to Love This Food Thing podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by Florina Dominique Tali. Florina is an osteopath, dancer, and host of her own podcast called The Breathing Body. Florina's recovery from eating disorders was through movement and the rediscovery of her quote-unquote miraculous physical body. Florina's wish is to engage her hands in care of others, and I concur there's not much higher than being of service, Florina. Welcome to Love This Food Thing podcast. How would you describe your relationship with food now? Would you describe it as a friend or a foe? Absolutely as a friend, 200%. (laughs) Okay, that's lovely to hear. And how did you get there? Because clearly it's been quite uh, an arc, quite a journey. Yeah, I think, how did I get there? In the end, it's so interesting, right? It's this long this long journey, still with lots of suffering. And at what the biggest the biggest game changer, how I actually got there, the more I think I think back to it is so interesting, Gemma. It was the moment when I realized what this all is actually about. Okay. And suddenly, what did, what did suddenly I got there actually much quicker than I would have ever thought. That's the interesting point. What did you realize? It it, it was when I realized, um, and at that point, I always I always said I'm recovering from eating difficulties. I'm recovering from eating from my eating disorder. And when I realized that it's actually much less about recovering, but about uncovering suddenly I started to call my journey the uncovering journey oh nice that's very nice that's when that's when it yeah that's when I let's say got there and did you have that can I just interrupt did you have that moment during therapeutic process were you walking along the road was it an aha light bulb moment did it again was it like an aha light bulb moment when you went oh actually this is what's going on Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And the interesting thing is, Gemma, that it was in the moment, it was in that period when I seriously thought no one will ever be able to help me. Wow. (laughs) That moment when you think I've now seen the fifth psychologist and I did, I just did anything and ever, I met everyone I possibly could. Um, When you think, yeah, no one can help me. And that's, that's actually when the solution so okay, okay, that's fascinating. Take me back. Take me back to what you're eating. And I like the fact that you said eating difficulties, because I think we can get very caught up and trapped by the diagnosis of an eating disorder and the identity of an eating disorder. And then we all yes. anyway. So how did how did everything start? Were you troubled when you were a kid? Can you just give us a little bit of background? Yeah, that's also such an interesting question and I think now that you ask me that question actually the interesting thing is that it was it felt wow actually now that you ask me it felt as if almost someone had switched the light bulb on when I turned 11 years old right but also kind of another light bulb on or off when I had this realization I just shared I can very consciously remember I can I remember what state was what I was wearing I was walking over the schoolyard my fifth primary school, um, it was a sunny spring day. Yeah, I did struggle, not academically at school, but with friendships, definitely felt left out and alone. Okay. And I remember walking over that schoolyard and 
schoolyard and suddenly there was this voice, if I would be thinner, things would be easier. Really? And it felt and like thinner. such a, it's in, yeah, absolutely. Well, well. Because and, were you aware of, because I had a bit of that at school, were you aware of your friends or your, your classmates being thinner? Were you looking at people thinking, my shape is different? No, not even that much. There was definitely an ongoing unconscious comparison happening between my sister and myself, which is also interesting because at the same time, she's been my best friend and we had a wonderful relationship. But actually, that was unspoken, actually very much a comparison there for many years. And I wonder how much that fed into the the awakening of that voice. Um. Was that, was that also to do with getting attention from your parents? I'm not quite sure about, I'm not sure about that. But I do remember that my mom would tell me that she, my mom would sometimes tell me how she would watch her figure when she was a young adult and studying. And that sounds silly, but there was something in my mom telling me that which almost inspired or impressed me because of course I was, I'm still a big fan of my mom. Yeah. And I remember how I had these images of my beautiful young mom being at university and being very thin. And I, some part in me really loved that image. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's all right to say I'm watching my figure. Well, it's not actually at the moment. It, all sorts of people will come down and be like a ton of bricks. But I, I, I was talking to someone the other day. Not everyone develops a, a food disorder or takes out their distress on their body. And it's like suddenly we can't say anything like that. But in, in back in the day, I mean, also you might talk about patriarchal culture and objectification of women, etc. Okay, I, I will hold all of that. But back in the day, someone might have gone. Oh, uh-uh, stop, there's the puppy. Um, <laughs> and they might have gone, oh, they're just taking care of themselves. Now, mm-hmm. I know it's been formed by diet culture, I know that, but it's mm-hmm. just the point is, is that not everyone will go on to develop food disorders. But clearly that was a, it's interesting how you have these these moments that, have, that really set you on your path. And then, Absolutely. And yeah. yes, not everyone, you're saying, not everyone is going to go and develop an eating disorder. I think, yeah. Everyone develops a different, I now so clearly see how it was that the only way young Verena was able to compensate for something else, right? And I might have well developed another strategy. And yeah, it's actually, it's so interesting talking about it. Maybe that was a big feeder into it, that image of, that was a happy image in my mind, my young mom, even though I wonder how happy she was. And, yeah. And, and she also, was watching her weight. Yeah. Well, for sure. But also, why wouldn't you want to be like your mum? But you've got this unconscious, unconscious competition mm-hmm. going on when it's mm-hmm. you're 11, you're at school. Mm-hmm. You don't feel great at school because mm-hmm. you know, it's difficult to have friends, I guess. So did you just go, that's it, I'm not going to meet? You mean in that moment? When yeah, you yeah, when you were 11, when you were 11, you thought, oh, it'd be better to have a You know, I, I talk about it, I think, wow, that's crazy. I literally did go home and I say that was the start of 17 years of thinking so hard, what strategy, what diet, what plan, when to eat, when not to eat, okay. how much to move, when not to move. And it's, it literally does feel you, that was such a good 
a metaphor you had there with the light bulb. It felt like someone turning a key and I mm. knew if I survive, that's how I that's how I'm gonna survive. What was the hardest behavior for you? What did you really get tangled up with eating disorder wise? I think it was that really addiction and stress between um the relationship between food and exercise. Okay. Your your microphone's distorting, is it? Do you need us to have a little pause? Are you alright there? Is it still distorting? Yeah, it's fine. I've got the dog, you've got the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that was. Yeah. Um, it's a completely different podcast. Um, yeah. Sorry, it was the relationship between... The relationship between food and exercise, I think that was for me personally the absolute and um, the most suffering provoking behavior of my disorder because I so developed that and I knew you know of course Gemma with my mind I knew it's not true yeah, but it yeah. so felt like whatever I would eat I could feel the shape of that underneath my skin right and right, it right. became such an addiction to drain that away to move that away and the crazy thing there was I always wanted to move. I had that love for movement. I wanted to be a circus acrobat and then an actress and then I don't know what, and then a dancer and did study dance. So I had this love for dance. I wanted to move, but also it suddenly became that oh, very pain-provoking thing of having to push away what I just ate. So that for me was the most difficult to suddenly notice I actually don't dance because I enjoy it. I or I didn't know anymore, do I now dance or do yoga because I love it or because I'm actually forced to do it? Ah, that's so mm-hmm. interesting though, that you, so you would eat something and then you mm-hmm. would move to move the food out of your system. Absolutely. Can I, I share something with you? Yes, I, I, I would not be able to move if I'd eaten. Wow. Isn't that fascinating, the difference? Why yeah. would you have to get rid of it to be empty? And then I could carry on with my day or whatever. Wow. So you would first have to wait until it's be- until you knew it's fully digested. Oh, no, I got rid of it immediately. I oh, you would, vast, you would, yeah, yeah. vast quantities oh. of everything. And then instantly mm. purged and got rid of it. And mm-hmm. then you would eat for as long as possible mm-hmm. and overexercised and, and laxatives mm-hmm. and all the rest of it. But I wanted but, to be free and empty. Mm-hmm. I didn't want anything in my, in my system. But Gemma, isn't that interesting how... We both, there is this intake of food trying for me very clearly now. I can see how I try to nurture something, but then actually it wasn't nurturing. So I had to get rid of it. And then that's actually how it felt like one attempt after the other of trying to nurture. No, it didn't work, get rid of it, but then trying again. And you did it with them giving it back out again. I did it with movements. Yeah, and I also think mm-hmm. it's just about not being able to, for both of us, not being able to hold on to the experience and not being able to, as you said, digest yes. whatever yes. it was going on because mm-hmm. the food is about to not be able to digest our life Yeah, contain our feelings of absolutely disappointment and other things. Yeah, we both try to so hard take control of something over which actually it's about also letting go of control. Yeah, yeah. Because there is a higher intelligence. (laughs) Yeah, which you don't find Mm -hmm. out until much later, do you? No, of course I'm just going to have a quick pause. Let me just Mm -hmm. move this naughty dog. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the dog's now in another room. (laughs) Well done. Yes. I'm (gasps) safe for about five minutes. 
what were you saying? You were talking about higher intelligence, but then also that you only discover these things later on. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I want to know how your behaviours impacted your life. What did your life look like? And what do you think? How were you feeling? I felt like I was living two lives. And I think that was, (laughs) maybe that was actually, yes, that was the most painful and exhaustive part of it. Mm. I literally felt, and I was so conscious throughout, I felt... I was living two lives. I was living the one happy, Florida, very social, wonderful person life. And I was living the life of such a desperate young woman. I, the, the emotion I always felt was desperation. Mm. Um, and I was literally in the evening, I would close the room to my door and just cry. Wow. And, and no, go on. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, did that go on from, well, you said... The 12 years, did you say, starting when you were 11? Yeah, I think, I think that actually peaked. That start, that went on, and but that got more. The contrast, the contrast of these two colors and densities, these lives had literally different texture, different densities. And the cost contrast of that got more and more and more and more until I would say maybe around three years ago, um, when I did have that kind of light bulb moment. Um, but it started when I was 11, absolutely, and impact on my life, on my social life, especially, Gemma. As in forming intimate relationships? Uh, not, yes, or maybe how I would live or fill these relationships, but just I could recount so many moments where I said no to join for let's go and have an ice cream together, especially when I think back to when I was a youngster. And when I would really not enjoy a dinner with friends, when more kind of how I I, I feel looking back in time, I feel I said no to so many things which I actually wanted to just say yes, or I would be in events and do things and just want to enjoy it. But my mind would just go food, 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 food. It was just all about the food. Yeah, I did that. I did that too. I used to turn down everything because... I'd be excited about maybe going out and then as it got nearer and nearer, I just couldn't do it. I was just letting friends down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I was always lying and making excuses. And I've completely, I think you're one of the first, first people to talk about that double life. Are you? Mm. There's only people now, but I really relate to that. It's absolutely exhausting and mm-hmm. soul destroying, isn't it? Because you're just living a lie. Yeah, it's exhausting. And the more, the more it, it goes on there, I feel there was, <laughs> there was, there is like a cloud of sadness, which got bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh. okay. Mm-hmm. Welcome back to Love This Food Thing podcast. And I'm here with Florina and we got to the clouds of sadness. Yes. Take it from there. Yeah. We got to the cloud of sadness and how... How really it felt to me like I was living these two parallel lives, how I had my eating disorder or eating difficulty personality and how I had the the Florida personality or the personality of that young woman who actually I always had that image of, you know, it's interesting, my name Florina means flower. And I always had that desire to expand, to unfold, to move and 
I felt how Farida wanted to do that, but there was this really strong other. Yeah, it did feel like a person. Um, did it? Other, other, or more like a, like a, like a life in the shape of a box or a cage. That's definitely how it felt like. Did it? Can you visualize it? I can. I can visualize how I. <laughs> that sounds so poetic, but I often did. I I would see myself um, wanting to spread my wings and fly. I always had big dreams and visions and projects, but at the same time there was this box and this oh this compressive nature of my life, which. Wow. Okay. Go on. Yeah. Sorry. Go on. Keep going. Yeah. I just want to say. I think you know. The more I I reflect upon my own healing journey, I think. Wow. That's. That's in a way the paradox, and maybe that's also the gift and the magic about it, how I try to really push my body away, but at the same time, the desire and dream of expressing my body got always bigger, right? Or how I would write diaries full of dreams and ideas, but eat less and less and less. That there was this very polar nature, maybe, Yeah. at one point, yeah. It sounds like a dance. Mm. How you describe it, it sounds like a dance, the push me, pull you. Yes, absolutely. And you say dance. And if I would have to describe looking back in time, whenever, if I would have to give a title to my healing journey, I call it Dancing into Light. And I named uh. that's, that's a title of the program offered to women healing from it. Like it's, it felt like a dance into light. And the dance is, is with lots of jumps up, but also falls down. And you must hit the floor sometimes and hurt your feet. It's part of the dance. It's so interesting mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you have that analogy. Mm-hmm. And mm. I think I've been talking again about this, about eating disorders and mm-hmm. behaviours being existential crises mm-hmm. because you have to eat to live. And mm-hmm. that question that we all ask, what on earth are we, what are we doing here? What is this yes. place and how do we survive here? I think mm-hmm. underpins a lot of it. And mm-hmm. I'm always struck by, you see, I think my experience, whether my eating disorder years were terrific tools for healing and for my consciousness and coming awake and I often wonder when I I hear people talking about their experiences Mm -hmm. maybe they're not don't have such a um mm, what am I trying to say maybe not quite as lyrical or poetic or not quite Mm -hmm. as esoteric and I wonder how how it is for other people and what I'm hearing from you is that you had this this belief system Mm -hmm. and this um acceptance that there's something greater than you running the show that's what I hear from you yeah you hear that absolutely right and I think that's probably exactly what kept me going even though there were moments there were money moments where I knew or where I felt who how no one will ever be able to help me and yet looking back on time I think and yet it's amazing I never gave up and probably that's exactly what you say there was this just deep belief I just knew it knew it that there is something even greater than me um, so did you did you um I'm, I'm interested did you have people around you who knew that you were suffering I it took me a long time that I actually told my parents about it when I was when I was when I was quite young 18 I left home because I studied dance which for me was a a celebratory moment. Finally, no one would see what I ate. Finally, I could do my own shopping. 
Right. Yep. Yep. I'm with you there. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think if it was, it was only, I got to a point in my dance studies when I, I've just emotionally and physically burnt myself out. Right. And my mom had to come and get me. And I think that's when she looked at me and realized, okay, okay, <laughs> there is actually something not healthy here. Mm-hmm. And do you, looking back, do you know what was going on? Looking back, I think, I, th- I think I know what was going on. Yeah. I was just terribly afraid of not being good enough. Oh, Literally, is, Gemma, from the yeah. first day I went to school, whatever task, homework, it didn't matter. Whatever I had to do, my very first thought would always be, what if I'm not good enough? It's so uh, crazy. And I think everyone carries it. Everyone carries yes. many different yes. versions of not mm-hmm. being good enough. However the mm-hmm. story looks or mm-hmm. the narrative is mm-hmm. spun, it's about mm-hmm. not feeling good enough for whatever Absolutely. reason. And okay, mm-hmm. that's a real shocker, isn't it? When you sit with your feelings of not feeling good enough. Yeah, yeah. And then obviously going into dance in a way there was even more potential triggers for that thought, right? I had yeah. them to be really creative and original and everyone in a tricot in, in tights all the time in front of a mirror. Yeah. It was pure trigger from eight in the morning to to when I went to sleep. So did you so your mum took you home when you were eighteen? Did you then mm-hmm. go back and continue your studies? No, I actually didn't. I I, when I left, when I finished grammar school, I first went to Copenhagen and did a year there. And then I went to Holland and would have, that that's where I was supposed to do my BA in dance. Right. But then I, I got to that point where I just couldn't anymore. And it was this big realization also. I'm, I suddenly noticed, wow, I, I'm there. I, 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 I always loved to dance. And I suddenly, I noticed so clearly how, I'm doing the one thing which I always love to do and I actually start started to hate doing it. Uh, okay. So I went back home and no, I never went back. Okay. So how did you start mm-hmm. getting yourself well? Did that did you have had you done some work on yourself before you had that moment of uncovering instead of recovering? Yeah, I think well by the time I left I went back home to Holland. I would have been, oh gosh, maybe 21, turning 22, something like that. Mm. And it was definitely from that point onwards, there were still many years of suffering to come. But from that moment onwards, I started just layer by layer by layer. I said yes to start to soften my life. I said yes to do more and more what I really want to do I started just layer by layer give myself a little bit more breaks and just in small percentages um and I think looking back in time Gemma what really I started doing from that moment onwards I actually for the first time really started turning inwards and looking at myself and I started to call my body not it but I started to call it her and that was a game changer. Wow. And was that something that you did by yourself? Were you seeing any therapists? Were you doing workshops? Were you doing anything like that? The bi- one of the biggest, biggest, biggest um supportive things, which mm-hmm. is things, I can't call it thing. No, call it a Books. thing. I call everything thing. 
everything's a thing in my world. The the most amazing thing which ever fell into my hands was the book, I'm sure you know her, Eating in the Light of the Moon by Dr. Anita Johnston. And she, no, I've not read it. It sounds it sounds sounds. You're terrific. gonna go and order that book after. <laughs> okay, I will do. She was on my podcast actually. Um, wow! Before e- Christmas, e- e- eating in the light of the moon. Eating in the light of the moon, and I, I want to. I think every woman doesn't matter how much the eating struggle is. We need to read that book. She made me. She that reading that book. I realized that. She talks a lot about femininity and masculinity and the feminine spirit uh-huh. and how the eating disorder, she talks about how it's this, when we have these behaviors, how it's windows of opportunity mm. to actually come back to your true authentic self. Mm. And I noticed suddenly it was like, how do you call that in, in English? When a realization? A realization when things fall from your eyes. And I noticed how... I just didn't give any space for my feminine part. I've just okay. completely pushed that out of my life. Because is that because dancing required you to be so controlled and organized and yeah, make, abso- making it happen? Absolutely making it happen, right? The, the feminine is the very yeah. intuitive, the mm-hmm. emotional, the instinctual. Mm-hmm. The masculine archetype is the is then the one, is the part which brings it into action. It's the yeah. goal, it's the do, which is also great. Yes. I love it. We need it. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We need them to be balanced though, don't we? Exactly. But I think reading that book helped me to understand what it actually was, what I missed or, yeah. That's incredible. So you read that mm -hmm. book and that enabled you to... I've read that book and I felt, (laughs) I said, Tonita, I felt I kind of put her book into my whole body or I started to embody what she has written about um, that's why I call my work an embodied approach to eating disorder recovery. Yeah, I I fully understand mm-hmm. that, and I mm-hmm. I um I celebrate that really. I yeah. I really get that. It's a different way. The way that we're talking is different from how lots of people might be talking or Absolutely. used to hearing mm-hmm. about eating mm-hmm. disorders and mm-hmm. and recovery. Yeah, I always and you get, know, mm, go on. You know that there was. I need to share that moment because that was, I, that for me took so much pressure. Suddenly I realized, I kept saying, I need to get, I need to get my relation with food right. I need to get the food right, the food right. And suddenly and I realized, Gemma, what the f***? I don't need to get anything right with the food. Yeah. The yeah. only thing I need to get right is my dialogue, my relationship to her, to her. Yeah. She is waiting for me. Suddenly I... I would start this dialogue. I was writing a lot. I was dancing. I was drawing. I entered the creative process. <laughs> and my gosh, she was partly angry that it took so long. She was really angry that it took so long that I would turn towards her. So did you, did mm. you, because it, it sounds quite quick. I know you said th- only really three years ago that mm-hmm. you call food a friend. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just our way into the conversation, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But did you... Did it? Mm, did your relationship with food or everything out there start settling really quite quickly because you were in in here? It ab- it absolutely did, and yeah. I I almost can't believe it myself. And the interesting thing maybe there is it suddenly did change really quickly, but it 
I feel it changed also at one point really quickly when I I call my last, the last phase of my healing journey. I mean, we are healing all the time, but mm. the last phase of that healing journey, I now call it um, the, 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 the grief phase. Okay. The last two years, I, I suddenly, I felt, I felt depressed. I was crying and crying and crying. And I was actually close of having a therapist and prescribing me medication. Yeah. But I thought, no, that's not, that's right. These tears are really right. And suddenly I noticed, of course, I'm so sad. It's just, it's grieving about what I did to myself over these past 17 years. Yeah. And the initial sadness that would have made yeah. you think, I'm not good enough. I need Absolutely. to be Absolutely. Yeah. And then I started working with that sadness. I just, it sounds so poetic, but I did just embrace it. And when you say you worked with the sadness, can you illustrate that a little? Yeah. So... How did I work with the sadness? And that's very much how I now work with people. I allowed to really, I allowed that sadness to really be felt without even labeling it. Mm -hmm. From all the body work and dance I do and did, for me, I know that our true language is what I call silent felt sensation. Mm. So I would notice, here comes a wave of something and I would sit down and just notice what is the sensation which is alive in me. Oh, amazing. And it was a process of growing, a, I call it a sensory vocabulary. Yeah. You know, in the beginning that can sound so difficult or hard, but suddenly you can actually say what texture, what what what's density, what smell, what color, what... Oh, well, and, I, I think, sorry, but no I think goal. because eating disorders are so mental, and I mean in yeah. the ment- on the mental plane... Mm-hmm. And they are mental as well. <laughs> yeah. We shouldn't say that. But I think that you, you just leave your physical body. So coming back to your physical body is really quite something. And then to Absolutely. get to the point where you just sit there and you don't judge mm-hmm. your emotion, you just feel the sensation. Absolutely. Is, is and I find the so beauty, the beautiful point exactly there is how don't we, um, doesn't a woman, I feel, or, or man, don't we develop or grow into an eating disorder to actually get closer to ourselves. That's surely what I tried to, I try, I tried to actually meet myself, but then with developing that behavior, I got further away and away and away and away. Yeah. Cause you're destroying yourself in the process, aren't you? Absolutely. So it was so wonderful to suddenly find a way of still hearing that voice and taking it serious, but in a way that I would get so intimate with myself. Very interesting. Mm. I think, what do I want to say before we take a quick break? Mm. Okay, so you've read the book, Dancing in the Moonlight, Into the eating Moonlight. In the, eating, eating in the light of the moon, but eating into the oh show my God. <laughs> <laughs> I've just re- rewritten part two and three. Eating <laughs> in the Moonlight by mm. Anita Johnson, Dr. Mm-hmm. Anita Johnson. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll put it in the show notes. Did you then, what happened then? It wasn't just the book, was it? No, I think the book, <laughs> I was reading the book and it was, it was, it felt as if someone would put words or someone was able to explain what I tried to explain to myself. Okay. <laughs> That's how it felt. Okay. Um, and I was reading the book and there were still some years to come with also suffering, but I think reading after I had, I mean, I read the book five times. <laughs> I, well, okay, I'm but I'm just wondering if you then had support afterwards. Yes, I did. Ah, Yes. Yeah. After I, 
it helped me to see clearer. And then I entered that state, what I said before, that grief, that okay. grief state. Okay. Um, and that's when I seeked out again for help. Ah, that was actually okay. my last round of therapy I had. Mm. Okay, okay. Mm. We're going to take a quick mm -hmm. break. Welcome back to Love This Food Thing Podcast. I'm here with Florina. And Florina's in her grief stage of recovery. Um, and you then you then reached out to a therapist, did you? Yeah, that was the last um the last time if that if there is an official eating disorder disorder healing. No, it's your timeline. Time it's your timeline, yeah. <laughs> that was yeah, doch, that was the last time for that kind of period of my life when I reached out for a therapist and I I mean I just needed the space of being able to literally cry and express that sadness being in a witness space. Okay. We didn't even talk that much. <laughs> Did you just sit and cry? I could never cry in therapy. Absolutely. I, I usually I would come in <laughs> and I would just start crying and it was so healingful. Oh my goodness. I I, never it do was that. such a wonderful person and I was so happy to pay her anything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's, very, that's very funny. I, I'm also struck about this having a witness and and someone bearing or or seeing your pain without getting involved it's is very so healing. Potent, yeah, it's so potent. I couldn't have done it with support, Gemma. You couldn't have done it without support. I don't think so. No, I um, think I would still be turning around. Mm -hmm. No, I don't think many mm -hmm. people can do it without support mm -hmm. because I think those positions, those emotional and mental positions, become entrenched I think it's yes and you become yes. inflexible mm -hmm. the longer it all goes on mm -hmm. the more you believe it the more mm -hmm. your life diminishes mm -hmm. and everything gets brittle absolutely mm -hmm. so mm. what do I want to ask you you're clearly very grateful and you found a way to accommodate everything that you went through and you you use it now in your work do you yeah absolutely so I mean, after I started or when I quit the dance, that desire to study, I kept saying to study the human body in all its depth was still there or even stronger. Yeah. So that's, that brought me to the UK and to London. Interesting. Okay. Then I got stuck. <laughs> but that must have been a relief to have to, to stop the dance because you didn't have to be triggered and scrutinized and... Yeah. It judged. was it was a relief. I mean, there was of course a certain voice telling me, "Oh, you failed," blah blah blah. And but yeah. I did get over that. <laughs> yeah. But it did feel like a relief. There was this relief of, "Wow, now I can study the human body in all its depth without having to perform." So that was when you trained to be an osteopath. That's when I trained to be an osteopath. Absolutely. And is that? I mean, clearly you you were in awe of the body before then, but did it? kick it up a gear when you just thought if this is we are miraculous physical beings because yes. no, no one knows really how anything works I don't think yes it absolutely did kick it up a gear and it did kick it up a gear I mean osteopathy is is miraculous it's it's wonderful it's 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 a science it's and science and it's an art at the same time and yeah. the number one principle is that the body is a self-healing mechanism and that's something that's something so so mysterious, magic, miraculous, everything yeah. at the same time. Yeah, because the, the, the thought is that you have to go out there to get your healing, not in here. You have Absolutely. to go out there to fix it. Yeah, mm -hmm. which is the eating disorder mindset as well, isn't it? Absolutely. And suddenly here I was learning tools or learning how how I as a therapist can facilitate healing in someone else. And 
I think that's where my, just my awe for the body grew even bigger. And the key thing I must share that was when we learned about the embryo, embryology, how we grew in, in mama's belly, in the womb. And what, what was key for, for you in that respect? Uh, the key there was, that was a huge game changer um, in the very end of my healing. <laughs> when I saw how that embryo, Gemma, a couple of hours or days old, how sperm meets the egg and how that being just unfolds, expands, grows without any questions, without any doubt. And there is movement, there is breath, there is, there. I keep saying unfolding, this being just knows, it just says yes, and it just grows and unfolds and says yes for life. And all it needs is the safe space of the womb, love and nurturing. It needs to be nourished by the blood, by the amniotic fluids. And there I, there I realized that my most ancient or oldest gesture is just a yes. My body just wants to say yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And suddenly I realized, my gosh, how could I, how can I, how could I be so hard and tough on that body? I noticed that embryo is still in me, that that original yes, I call it, is still in me and I, I must nurture that. Did you feel guilty? I don't think I felt guilty, but I felt sad. I felt just, I felt so much sadness. I felt sad. Yeah. I felt sad, yeah. That we can do these things to ourselves. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that we hide it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that lots of people are going around feeling so much shame. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And and pain. Mm-hmm. What's the key message that mm-hmm. you impart now to the women? Do you work with men as well? At the moment, only with women. Somehow I'm just really drawn. And I know that I have lots of skills and gifts there. And I keep, I'm reflecting a lot about that question. Why, why actually? Why actually women? And I'll just keep it unfold organically. Who knows what I'm doing in 10 years. But at the moment, I work with women. Yeah. Um, what is my key message for women? And, and women that you work with, yeah. and do they present with many versions of not feeling good enough? Yes. Mm. Yes, they do. And the key, I, the key message is I want to tell them, and that's for everyone, that's the eating disorder recovery or eating difficulty recovery, that it actually is an uncovery process. Mm. It's that uncovery process of uncovering, of washing away all that layers of mud to literally uncover that shining crystal who we all are deep inside. And that that really starts when we arrive in the body. And I want to say, she, the body, your body, she is waiting for you. <laughs> she is so waiting for you to go through that life with you and to live a life beyond, and I mean it, beyond your wildest dreams. <laughs> I can 200% say I'm living a life, it's so it's so wonderful, beyond my wildest dreams. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. That's and, amazing. I'm just thinking about the mm-hmm. movement. What kind of movement do you do to put people in con- back in contact with their body? Um, all because lots, kinds, of people, lots of people feel very um, awkward. Yeah, so it's interesting. Very often the movements, we don't start with the movement, but we start with 
feeling the feelings, these feelings which are meant to be felt. And if we really drop into that silent felt sensation of the feeling, movement just arises. That's the beauty. Mm. Lots of the women I work with, they suddenly they stand up and start to move and dance. And I mean, one can keep the eyes closed, it doesn't matter, but then it's that's then the expression of our body talking to us. But it rarely starts with let's do this or that movement. We start from often from what is alive in you. Uh-huh. And maybe first of a dialogue, what is there a message there? And then how would that how would you want to express at this moment? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking about all sorts of stuff that I used to do. Actually, I went off, <laughs> I went off on a bit of a bit of an old swan song there. Uh, did you work a lot with the body or with movement? Gemma? I did. I did much later on. I yep, yep. did. I used to do um, like five rhythms dancing a little ah. bit, and I used to practice yoga. Yes, and BDS for yoga. <laughs> yeah, I don't anymore actually, but I might go back to it in a different way when I'm older. Uh-huh. And I also uh-huh. I did lots of tantric stuff. Yeah, yeah. In a closed group, which was very mm. much about being back in your body, feet on the ground, mm. feeling what was going on. That was much later, mm. and um, that was yeah essential for my uncovering mm-hmm. in your words so glad that you say tantra did do you know the book um diana richardson that we must put into the show notes as well her book okay. helped me it helped me a lot i'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll write i'll write you a whole list <laughs> yeah. is there anything before we wrap up is there anything you'd uh, like to say or you'd like to share that you feel we haven't covered um i just want to say encouraging words to words especially anyone who now listens and thinks how will i ever get over that i want to say i want to say yes it is possible because i did it myself yeah and i just want to encourage women and men out there okay Mm -hmm. that's lovely Mm -hmm. that is Mm -hmm. really lovely thank you and obviously you will have all farina's information on her show notes Yes. I, I concur with that. I'm someone who is fully recovered. I would never say I'm in recovery. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. yeah, it's a while ago. Wonderful. So, mm. and I think the more people that get well, then so it spreads out, and yes, you raise absolutely. everyone else up. Hopefully, mm-hmm. that's the intention. Yes, yes. So, if you were going to a desert island or a tropical island or a cold island near a field, any kind of island, mm-hmm. never described the islands before. <laughs> you have a food cupboard with seasoning, olive oil, etc. What five favorite foods would you take with you? Peanut butter. <laughs> okay, crunchy smooth. Dark chocolate. Okay. Good nuts. What kind of nuts? Cashew nuts. Okay. Blueberries. Mhm. What else would I take? Oh, and a bag of Really good pain au chocolat. <laughs> a really good what? Pain au chocolat. Pain au chocolat. Okay, yeah. you have a sweet tooth. Yes. You can come to my island because I'm just going to take crisps. <laughs> good, we will, <laughs> we'll merge together. <laughs> Serena, thank you so much for coming on Love This Food Thing podcast. Thank you, Sorry about Gemma. the at the beginning. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. If you'd like to learn more about the mission we're on today and who we help, simply head to lovethisfoodthing.com to see all the details.